There's a phrase, not a phrase, but a quote that I learned a long time ago. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Some of you know who said that. On Sunday, January 8th, 1956, on the shore of a lonely river deep in the Ecuadorian jungle, five missionaries were murdered by primitive Aka Indians. News of the massacre shocked the world. To some, their death seemed a senseless tragedy. Decried the promising missionaries, careers cut short. The five young wives bereft of their husbands and the children left fatherless. Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and three other men lost their lives on that Sunday morning. But the persecution of those five men spread throughout the world. The the persecution of those five men and the result, better said, spread throughout the world. And we as a body of believers, we as humans need to understand that persecution is still alive and persecution is used by God for his good purposes. And so today we're going to see in the book of Acts uh, just three verses, but we're going to see the presence of persecution and we're going to see the purposes of it. And so if you're with me in Acts, we're now in 8 and we're in verse 1. This small paragraph, these three verses serve as a big bridge. It takes us from Acts part 1, which was the construction in a sense of the church and it's still being built, to the expansion of the church. And there should be a picture there of the church expanding through the world. And if you look at that closely, now don't look at South America, but if you look at North America, it looks like maybe that's Denver and Eagle in the Vail area. I don't know. I don't know. But the church is being built, it's being constructed, and now Acts part 2, it's expanding. It's going from Jerusalem through, you'll see today, Judea and Samaria, and eventually it will go through the entire world. Project two is, project uh, Phase 2 is that the project begins and it expands. We are in verse 1 of chapter 8, and here's how it reads. And Saul approved of his execution. So if you are just picking up there, you say, who is this? His execution, that is Stephen. Saul was there approving of the execution. Now, who is this Saul? You and I know him primarily as Paul, and we will meet him again here in about four weeks in Acts chapter 9. But I wanted just to give you two verses to show you who he was before he was converted to Christianity. In Galatians 1.14, Paul says of himself, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently. We will see that here today and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Here, Paul says he was violently opposed to the church. And in Philippians chapter 3, he says this, If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, that is a great chapter, and you have to see the whole chapter, and we'll We'll go back to that maybe here in four weeks to show you Paul's other side. But in his flesh, as a Jew, if anyone thinks they have reason for confidence, Paul says, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to a law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, he, key word with Acts 8, a persecutor 
of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul thought he was doing right by persecuting the church. And so he approved of Stephen's execution. Now back to eight, Acts 8, one, And there arose on that day, the day that Stephen was persecuted and put to death, a great persecution, not just against Stephen, not just against the apostles, but against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And so you see this Acts 1.8 now being lived out. It goes from Jerusalem through Judea and Samaria. And this is a great persecution. Acts 4, 1 through 22. Acts 5, 12 through 42. It was mainly against the apostles. Now it moves to everyone. And when the church grows, persecution comes. And when persecution comes, the church grows. The church spreads, but the apostles stay. It's, it's a phrase that caught me. Except the apostles, were they afraid? No. Um, two reasons are given, primarily that this persecution arose against those Hellenistic Jews, and so they they spread out uh, to the diaspora. The Net Bible says, given that Jerusalem, the church is still active after this, and that the Hellenists are the focus of Acts 6-8, through it is possible to argue that only the Hellenistic Christians were forced to scatter. That is one reason. I think another reason is that these men uh, stayed the fort. They manned the fort. And it, there was a reverence for these men. If you go back and you read in Acts, there was, there was a fear among the people for these men because of the miracles they were doing, the message that were, they were proclaiming, and so they stay in Jerusalem. Verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen. And so, not from the apostles, but other men who stayed around buried Stephen, and they didn't just bury him, but they made great lamentation over him. There, some translations say it was loud lamentation. It was a public protest that your killing of Stephen was wrong. And according to the Jewish Mishnah, to mourn for criminals was for, was forbidden. So these devout men were taking a great risk, considerable risk, to tell those in Jerusalem, your stoning of Stephen was wrong. But Paul was ravaging the church. Interesting phrase there, ravaging. This isn't just Paul um, walking into homes saying, this is not something you should be doing. Please come with me. We must go down to the local authorities. The concept behind that word, ravaging the church, was brutal and sadistic. As Paul said himself, we read it just a minute ago, in Galatians 1.14, that he was working against the church violently. Violently. How did that play itself out? You see it in home invasion and commitment to prison that he would go in house after house and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. There's persecution. Insignificant? Meaningless? Why? I mean, these were just people who were trying to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Why such an upheaval in Jerusalem? Was God not concerned? The next verse shows us God's purposes in persecution. We will get to the rest of chapter 8 next week. Now, those who were scattered, or as some translations read, therefore, 
Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. As a result of persecution, the gospel spreads throughout the world. This gospel spread through the preaching of the word. 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 And to notice this. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The apostles, who were the main speakers of the word, stayed in Jerusalem. Those who went out carried the word and they proclaimed it. Everybody had a responsibility to proclaim the word. And they didn't just go out and they didn't just go into hiding. But they proclaimed the gospel, the good news. And as you will see next week from Philip, he would go throughout. And you're going to see two responses to the gospel. You're going to see a a humble response. Reading this word, how, how, what should I do with it? And you're going to see a greedy response. More on that next week. But notice that the gospel proclamation went out by all. And that their proclamation uh, originally in Jerusalem led to their persecution, but then their persecution led to further proclamation. That the scattering leads to the spreading that the Jews who were in the diaspora now were declaring Jesus as their Savior. And as MacArthur points out, at first glance, Stephen's death may also seem pointless. Here, another promising career cut short. He was a powerful, miraculous preacher with a deep knowledge of the Old Testament. Such was the godly character of his life that he is one of the seven chosen by the church to oversee its daily affairs. Why was it necessary that one so gifted have such a brief ministry? I think when I'm reading that, I think of uh, um, the musician who died in a plane crash. Keith Green. Rich Mullins, thank you. I think of Rich Mullins, Keith Green. I think of these men who were doing good works of the Lord and then they're taken. But then their lives affect further lives from then on out. MacArthur says, Further, his ministry seemed to have ended in failure. Not only was he killed as a heretic, but his death also triggered the first persecution against the entire church. That persecution, though, as he points out, spearheaded by Saul of Tarsus, scattered the Jerusalem fellowship. Such a skewed view of Stephen's death, however, betrays a lack of understanding the way the Holy Spirit works. The persecution, which seemed to be a negative, was in reality a positive factor. It led to the first great missionary outreach by the early church. Satan's attempt to stamp out the church's fire merely scattered the embers that started new fires around the world. And that fire, my friends, is still lit today. And it's lit here in Eagle. It's lit in Gypsum. It's lit in the Vale Valley. Eagle Valley, let's be proper. It's lit in the Eagle Valley, and it's spreading throughout. And so when you see this news of persecution, don't ever, ever, ever let it get you down as if we are losing. Because God is using persecution to spread His gospel. It seemed like Stephen's death was pointless and insignificant. In fact, that is what God used to spread the gospel from Jerusalem through Judea and Samaria. And you will see in just a few short weeks, the one who stood in approval will now be the chief speaker. That your New Testament is mostly of Paul's letters. Now, volume, Luke and Acts, serve more than Paul's letters. But numbers-wise, Paul gives us 13 letters. 
And if you want to talk about Hebrews, maybe Paul wrote it. I don't know. But I know for certain he wrote 13. And here's a man who stood in approval. I don't want to give away chapter 9, so we'll just put that on hold. So what do we learn from these three verses? It's just a talk on persecution. How does that affect us, Judd? Well, here, let's look at some truths. And to do so, I'm going to back out of Acts for just a minute because I want to show you that persecution, number one, was promised. Persecution was promised. Jesus said it like this in John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. In John 16, 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. If you're paying attention to any of the news these days, you see that the persecution going on against Christians around the world is done in the name of God. We are caught up in watching ISIS, but we should never forget what's going on in Africa. There is militant persecution going on specifically against our brothers and sisters in Christ there. And they're doing it and holding the flag that they're doing this in the name of God. What Jesus promised in John 16 when he was still walking the earth is as true today as it was then. Paul said it like this in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I saw another one of Paul's quotes from 1 Thessalonians. I'll read it to you. 1 Thessalonians 3, two, two and two, chapter 3, 2 and 4. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one should be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. I wonder if Paul's thinking back to Jesus' words. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass just as you know. And Paul would be told and will be told in Acts 9 that through many tribulations he would go through. And so it is a fact. Persecution was promised. Uh, Number two, persecution has happened, is happening, and will continue to happen until Jesus returns. That if we were to go back and do a quick biblical theology of God's people being persecuted, it starts all the way back in Genesis 4. Cain and Abel. That one had an offering that was good to God, the other didn't. He didn't like it, so he he told his brother, hey, let's go out, play in the field, let's throw the ball, and he gets killed. All throughout the Old Testament, you see those who did not believe in God nor bow the knee to God oppose God's people. In the New Testament, you see people opposing Jesus. So much so that they would put him on the cross. More on that in a minute. You see in the first part of Acts, the apostles were warned. They were beaten. Stephen was martyred. And you saw in those three verses in Acts that the whole church was persecuted. Not just persecuted, but a great persecution. 
that it has happened. It is happening. Pay attention to the news. ISIS in Europe. And it doesn't just happen overseas. It happens right here. There was the Atlanta fire chief uh, was fired for his stance. He is a Christian man. And he was persecuted. And it will continue, my friends. Revelation 2 and 3 says, To the one who overcomes, persecution will now, for you and I, let's just be really honest. Let's not try to make this more than it should be. But we live in a country, we live in a culture that we do not face the persecution that our brothers and sisters face in other parts of the world. And so we we don't want to even, um, we want to be mindful that persecution is broader than we think it is, but we do not want to put ourselves uh, in their shoes, so to speak. We don't face, we have no idea what they face. None. C.S. Lewis, in talking about that, one time said, where so-and-so goes, he faces guns. Where I go, they serve tea. And, and I'm, I'm a little cold this morning, and maybe somebody turned down the heater to make us chilly. But that isn't even close to what some face. But let us never forget, as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 3, you knew this. And persecution, number three, serves God's greater purposes. Paul himself would become the mouthpiece of the church. We just gave you a little bit of Galatians 1 and a little bit of Philippians 3. We'll give you the other parts of those here in a few weeks. And we cannot always see the reasons why, but we can resolve to believe that God is up to something good. There is a reason why Canaan read Romans 8, 31 through 39. Nothing. No famine, no sword, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So what do we do? What do we do as a church? If persecution serves God's greater purposes, what do we do? I want to show you what we can do. Since we aren't facing the persecution that maybe our brothers and sisters are facing, here's what we can do. To cultivate our relationship with God as an individual follower of Jesus, let us pray. Let us ask God to open our eyes to the opportunities around us, soften our hearts to the lost, quicken our minds to the gospel, and loosen our tongues to proclaiming the greatest news in the world, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I I mean that as we, next week in Sunday school, we will start a series on evangelism. And it's not just a theology evangelism, it is Nuts and bolts, this is how we go and do it. It won't be programmed, it will be straight from the Scripture, but it will be all about how are you and I going to go out tomorrow and share our faith. And we can't wait until we're studied to share. We must go. So pray. Pray for God to open your eyes to opportunities of the persecuted church and to share the good news with the lost. To build your relationship uh, with the church, not only locally but universally. Do the research. Here, I've got a handout on the front table by Eternal Perspective Ministries, Randy Alcorn. If you know who he is, he's been persecuted for his stance against abortion. It's a little four-pager. Who is the persecuted church? What resources on the persecution does Randy recommend? Practical ways to help in praying for the persecuted church. I highly recommend it. There are copies out for you. Read that handout. Look at these websites. The Voice of Martyrs is persecution.com. Open Doors is Open Door USA. International Christian Concern is persecution.org. And the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church is persecutedchurch.org.
do the research. People always want to say, that's a great sermon, but I want something to apply to my life. Go this week and spend one hour. Don't even spend one hour. Spend 30 minutes researching those and just see. Open your eyes to see. Wow. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, just like we do, they love, honor, and serve the same Jesus Christ we serve, are facing persecution for merely declaring their faith. And then to cultivate your relationship with society as one who's going to influence the world, dare I say, let's get out and tell somebody about it. Share what you learn with a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a, a fellow student, a neighbor. Did you know? You know, use that. Use the local news as just a as a springboard to talk about gospel things. You never know what's going to happen. Let me read to you what happened because those five men went and preached the gospel to a, a violent culture. To the world at large, this is Elizabeth Elliot speaking of her husband in the book Through Gates of Splendor. To the world at large, this was a sad waste of five young lives. But God has His plan and purposes in all things. There were those whose lives were changed by what happened on Palm Beach, that is where they were in Ecuador. In Brazil, a group of Indians at a mission station deep in the Mato Grosso, upon hearing the news, dropped to their knees and cried out to God for forgiveness for their own lack of concern for fellow Indians who did not know Jesus Christ. From Rome, an American official wrote to one of the widows, I knew your husband. He was to me the ideal of what a Christian should be. An Air Force major stationed in England with many hours of jet flying immediately began making plans to join Missionary Aviation Fellowship. A missionary in Africa wrote, Our work will never be the same. We knew two of the men, their lives have left their mark on us. Off the coast of Italy, an American naval officer was involved in an accident at sea. He floated alone on a raft, and he recalled Jim Elliott's words, when it comes time to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. That's a great statement. He prayed that he might be saved, knowing that he had more than, than die. He was not ready. God answered his prayer, and he was rescued. In Des Moines, Iowa, an 18-year-old boy prayed for a week in his room and then announced to his parents, I'm turning my life over to the Lord. I want to try to take the place of one of those five. You never know what's going to happen. So let us open our eyes to the broader picture because let's just be honest. You and I don't face persecution. Not like they do. Surely we may be insulted for our faith. Surely some of you, I know you're on the front lines. I talked to someone before church today. They had 10 to 12 conversations, and it's every day in between assignments. People are asking them good questions, tough questions, hard questions. We are being challenged. We may be insulted, but we're not being persecuted to that degree. I have to qualify everything up here. Somebody's going to come up after and go, well, I'm being Like I said at the beginning of this series some 10, 12 weeks ago, get caught up in the bigger story. And I'm afraid in my own life I get caught up in my little story, our little story. 
And there's a world out there who read this. They're reading this. They have Actually, they have read this. If we, it's in the afternoon over there, some in the evening. They have read this today, but they didn't read it under the comforts of sitting in a chair with digital resources, taking notes, singing wonderful songs with a wonderful praise team, drinking warm coffee, set up by godly men and women who came in early. They didn't do that. They, they read it under a small light, very quiet, with somebody standing guard at the door, knowing if they're caught, they might be killed. I was asked one time, and obviously I'd need to pray about it and check with my wife, but it was asked one time, to, would you be okay with going on a missionary trip where when you got there, um, we took your Bible somewhere else, I mean, you would get it back, but then we would put a hood on your head as you drove through the streets? Sure. Are we ready? And I've said it before and I'll say it again and I'm not, I don't think I'm bringing any curses down on this church. But there may come a day where I stand up here and we're working our way through the book of Romans and it is against the law to speak on what Romans 1 presents against a certain issue and it's not like we're going to get there. And read and read and read and say, well, that's just another one for another day. Let us just skip that. We will stand here. I will stand here. And I will read it knowing what could happen. Are we ready? Pray, do, tell. Who knows what kind of impact we'll have on this world. Father, the only reason we can be ready because of your grace, just like we sang earlier, without your grace, we couldn't stand, we would wander. But we can be bold and we can be confident with all humility, with all compassion. Because of the power of the Spirit and the truth of the gospel, we can stand before anyone and declare the Lord's name. There's only one name on which all men will be saved. Jesus said himself, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, but no one comes to the Father, but through me. Father, give us much grace in this endeavor. Open our eyes to the persecuted church. Help us to pray systematically and diligently for those who, like the early church in Acts, are being beaten for their faith. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.